Blog Talk Radio. Witches. My name is Raina Starr. I am your host. Desperate House Witches is not a G, PG, or even an R-rated show. So, if bad language, bodily function, dirty talk of any kind might offend you, this may not be the show for you, but I think it is. Desperate House Witches is brought to you by the Wicked One herself, the amazing Dorothy Morrison. Please check out wickedwitchstudios.com for all of your witching needs. Okay. So, today's guest, I'm super excited. Um, she's internationally acclaimed author, Lisa Robertson. Hey, Lisa. Hello. Thank you for having me today. Well, thank you for coming on. I was really excited. So, you know, in looking at a little bit of your bio, um, <laughs> okay, so I am not doing enough with my fucking life looking at all this that you've done just recently. Let me give you a fucking taste of, of what this woman has done so far. Okay, so her Angel Numbers book, August of 21, Cirque du Tarot, December of 21, uh, Soul Cats Tarot, this month, uh, May Tarot Priestess book, I mean, really, do you and your wife have pictures of each other so you remember what you look like? <laughs> you know, people ask me that all the time, but I'm going to be completely honest with you. I actually only write 20 minutes a day. That's all I do. Wow. <laughs> I don't know how you do that and, and put out all this amazing stuff. I mean... You're incredible. And I will tell you, the first time I saw you was Llewellyn Khan uh, last summer, and I thought, wow, she's super smart. I want to talk to her. <laughs> and that's how this whole thing started. Um, so I have to tell you, as, as a, a person who used to read tarot professionally a long, 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 long time ago, I have obviously a huge collection of cards and as I've gotten older I've had to say to myself self what are you doing do you really need all these cards are you getting something different out of every set you're getting and I'm like nah not really not anymore I don't know maybe it's just me and then I get your deck soul cats tarot holy shit Talk about needing it, having it at the right time. What an interpretation. It is beautiful. It is accurate. It kind of fucking scared me. But it's a really great deck. So aside from that, going back a lot further with you, how did you first even get into tarot? Who, who nurtured you along the way, if anybody? Where was your start in all this? So there's kind of two beginnings in that. Um, 
there's my initial journey with the cards and then there's my journey in publishing. So I'll do them separately if that's okay. Sure. Yes. So my, my, my beginning with the cards was probably in 2005 when I first moved to the States and, and met my wife and she, her and her daughter played with the cards. I wouldn't say read them. I would say played with them. Uh-huh. And that was kind of the first time I'd come across them, and they didn't really interest me too much. And then about a year later, I was looking through, I don't know, a couple of the decks I had laying around, and the thing that really caught me was the artwork, because I have a, mm-hmm. have a degree in art and fine art history, so I was really taken in by the artwork, and I was like, well, maybe I should explore yep. some of this a little further. But I still couldn't get into it. Like, it was way too complicated. I didn't understand the system. I was like, this is some bogus bullshit right here. So we moved to <laughs> upstate New We moved to upstate New York for a little while and I got my first Oracle deck, which literally like called me from across the bookstore and then jumped off the shelf and landed on my foot. Uh and that nice. was uh Brian Froud's uh fairy oracle, the very first one he did. Uh-huh. And so yeah. that was my introduction to like decks of cards and about a couple of years later I lost my eyesight due to a massive sinus infection I had incredible light sensitivity and I couldn't see and uh, what happened was I started to dream tarot cards like it was the weirdest thing like they would just I would be thinking about someone and then these cards would just like materialize and they were all I could see for about two months and that's when I was like, oh, maybe I need to revisit this tarot stuff. <laughs> right. So that was kind of my introduction to the cards themselves. And then my introduction to publishing was really an accident, um, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. I, I didn't plan <laughs> on making a tarot deck. I thought maybe it might be a fun thing to do one day. And I went to see Barbara Moore, who was teaching here in Las Vegas. And I Uh went to her class, and I was so taken away, you know, so caught up in the way she taught that I actually booked a private session with her, not as a tarot reading, but for her to teach me to go deeper into the content that she had taught in this particular class. And while we were teaching, we uh-huh. were kind of chatting, and she asked me what I did. And at the time, I was teaching animal uh, animal totem, but Celtic animal totem work, like how to connect to your yeah. animal guides through my Celtic heritage. And she asked me just like right off the cuff, have you ever thought about creating a deck? Because I think that work would translate to a deck. And to this day, I can't tell you what the rest of the conversation was because I like kind of spaced out after that. <laughs> did you fangirl all over the place <laughs> I was like so fangirling I was like what is happening right now <laughs> yeah yeah I could see that so that's that's where I started wow wow so how so how long have you been doing this to have such a huge body of work already let me see. We signed the contract for Animal Totem Tarot in 2013. 
clue since then. So Nellie Ping. Holy crap! You've got all of this done in less than ten years. I am not doing enough with my life. I'm telling you, I am slack, slack, slack. Okay, so as again, as someone who has read tarot and has collected over the years lots of decks, I don't know how you did it, but your deck kind of like punched through everything, the Soul Cats Tarot, and it is amazing. The interpretations are amazing. The artwork is amazing. So, I mean, like, do you get visions of different decks? Do you dr- have you dreamt of all of the decks you've done so far? No, I don't dream it. So, a lot of it does come from my art background. So, as I said, I do have a mm-hmm. bachelor's degree in art education, and I also have um, a postgraduate degree in fine art and cinema. So I am very well versed in visual literacy and visual composition. Uh, so that I, uh-huh. and it's interesting, you know, cause I never thought when I was at university, this was how that I was going to use my two degrees, but here we are. Uh, so it is right. <laughs> and, and, and I'm technically trained and I technically am trained as a graphic designer. So like I worked as a designer for a long time. So, oh. Putting images together is actually kind of second nature for me, knowing how the eye moves across an image, what makes an image visually interesting. So I don't really need to dream them. I really just need to open myself up to the energy and let it kind of come through and then refine. But I do give my artists space to also bring in their own intuitive interpretation of the description. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if, if people really understand what happens when a Llewellyn deck is created, but what we do as deck creators is we create the entire world. So we have to put the deck uh-huh. inside a world, and then we uh, have to do all of the art descriptions for the artist. So we have to come up with the 78 art descriptions, and then we write that together as a pitch. We, we put it in. If Llewellyn likes it, they, they then go search for an artist to see if they too would like to work on this project and help create this world. I have been very fortunate that I have worked with some incredible artists, and Adam was amazing, and he had a lot of fun with this deck. It's, it's a stunning deck. Uh, even the back of the cards, it, it, they're just beautiful. And, you know... I don't know. I, I, I really, you know, I was looking through the Llewellyn catalog because I get advanced stuff to look at. And I saw the deck and I was like, wow, look at all these interesting things that this person has done. And I don't know. I was like, this, for some reason, the Soul Cats Tarot just kind of spoke to me. And I said, that's what I want. And I got it. And it's, it's, it blew me away. It really did because it's very different from anything else I own. And I don't know where that creative, you know, obviously you're, you studied and you worked for this talent. Um, and anybody who's talented like that kind of freaks me out because I can't even draw a straight line, much less, build a world and create a deck and have a vision like that. So I find that really fascinating. 
So let me ask you, is, is your wife part of uh, your team uh, of what you do as far as your writing and your tarot, or is that something you do completely separately? Oh, God, no. Um, no. No, no, no. <laughs> no. Wow. No. <laughs> if, One of in fact, be I don't even think no. <laughs> no. She'd probably be the first one to tell you. Oh hell no. Uh now she now here's the thing. She is my biggest cheerleader for sure. Um she yeah. is has been incredibly supportive. She worked really hard at the beginning of my publishing career so that I had time to build this publication funnel so that I didn't have to I myself didn't have to hold down a full-time job. I could just make, you know, a little bit of part-time money here and there. So, you know, she was very yeah. instrumental in setting this up for me. Um, and she was my biggest cheerleader. Wow. But, no, she does not have an, a say or an influence on the creative work. <laughs> That's not her area of speciality. Hey. Let's just say that. <laughs> I understand. I mean, but you know, sometimes the people uh, that you're that you have in your life can be a, a muse or an inspiration for things. So I was just curious. So, tell, by the way, I love a good love story. So, how did you meet? <laughs> I don't know. Well, she probably tells it as a love story. I tell it as like I, it just kind of happened. I'm one of these people who like <laughs> is a little bit absolute, like. And, and people don't believe me when I say this because they're like, no, you're, you know, you're such a deep person and you, you write all this really deep stuff and you're, you have all this really creative work. But the truth is when it comes to, like, people, I'm not really good at people. So I miss a lot of cues and I don't really pay attention. So most relationships happen to me, not intentionally. So she, she just kind of showed up at the right place at the right time, I guess, and... I was just in a place where I just wasn't paying enough attention, and the next thing I know, I was in a relationship. Now, she will tell that story very differently, but that's where I was. <laughs> wow. Okay, well, we know who the romantic is in the relationship, and that would not be you. Okay, got it. <laughs> It was just oh well, for me because it was a ran it was a random string of things that just went horribly wrong in my life um, that kind of brought what? me to her. No, it was oh, like okay. it, Hurricane Katrina was involved. Like there was a whole bunch of shit that just went horribly wrong, and then she just ended up in the mix of it. And then, be, as I said before, I know it. We were in a relationship, and to me, end of story. You know, we <laughs> we've been together for seventeen years. So <laughs> it's like. It is what it wow. is. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, wow. Somebody who has such um, a beautiful spirit and writes these incredible books and all of these, I mean, everything you do seems to be a piece of art. So it's kind of like you expect someone who's so artistic to have that, you know, that poet's soul, and you're like, fuck that, no. <laughs> so I find that, to me, that's hilarious. <laughs> I can only channel it in one direction. <laughs> wow. So 
obviously done a great deal of research and a great deal of study uh, mm-hmm. to have degrees in, in the subjects that you have degrees in, obviously, art, art history, um, you know, you're, you're a graphic designer, you do all these different things. So I just lost my question. <laughs> I could, my question went out of my brain. Where did it go? I don't know. Um, <laughs> oh, how do you, okay, so this was my question. How do you find new things to share, to express about tarot? Like, is this something that that you just have all kinds of information and you have a bunch of books lined up in your brain? Like, how does, how do you, how do you keep finding new information? I find that fascinating. So, well, I can only talk about myself. I, I don't know how other people do it. But right. I really do tend to just focus on the one project at a time. And my process is, and this is probably why it looks like I have a, like I've produced a lot of work over a short period of time, but my process is to work on two projects at once that are slightly different. So while I'm writing, I'm usually researching and mapping out a deck because I find it actually stops me from going into writer's block because the work, the writing work is different. So while I'm thinking Mm -hmm. about creating a world and creating an image while I'm writing a book, it keeps the words flowing on the page. So I tend to do those two things at the same time. So while I'm sitting down and I'm mapping, I'm only just researching on that particular Topic. Now, I, I have to admit, I didn't actually do a lot of research for the Soul Cats tarot, to be perfectly honest. I was like, I wonder what it would be like to make a tarot with cats, but let's make them some sort of celestial beings, right? Like, that was pretty mm-hmm. much my thinking for that one. <laughs> that wow. could be fun. Let's just see how it goes, right? I, was, I, I really just wanted to see how I could play with an idea a couple of ideas and put them together. Now, Cirque is a little bit different, and I did do a lot of research on that. I read, um, I, I tend to get a lot of, re- I tend to get a lot of ideas from fiction rather than nonfiction. So I read a lot of uh-huh. books on circuses and performance and all that kind of stuff. I actually, because I live in Las Vegas, I went to a couple of, you know, I've been to quite a lot of the Cirque du Soleil shows. So I had that as sure. reference material as well. And I did more, because I don't do a lot of tarot research per se, I actually went and looked at um, non-binary archetypal structures. So I did more academic nice. research into that. So there was obviously lots more levels of research in that deck than there was, say, in uh-huh. the Soulcat tarot where I was like, let's just see how we could play with this idea and bring a team together who also thinks this idea could be fun and see where it goes. So there was a little, so that one was a little different, but generally speaking, I'm very specific on the project and I'm very broad in my research material. So I'm not just looking at tarot books and I might actually even once I start mapping an idea out, like I'll have a list of topics and I'll be like, oh, I don't really know much about that one, or that's not, so, that's not somewhere where I feel my level of experience is, 
And so I'll go and I'll find books that are on that particular topic and I'll, you know, I'll read like five or six of those and then pull out the pertinent pieces of information and then I'll weave that into whatever it is I'm working on. Is that how the Animal Totem deck came into being? The, well, the Animal Totem deck, in all honesty, was probably the hardest deck I put together, and that's probably because it was my first one, so I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. Um, but I did know this. I did, I did know I wanted a variety of animals, and I didn't yeah. want all the animals to have to say the same thing, which was really hard. I think that's why that deck was hard, because so many of the animal um, meanings for healing are very similar. So I needed to make sure that, like, I had 73 unique experiences for people to engage with. Because I had a lot of people go, oh, why didn't you put this in? Why is that in there? And it's like, well, because that animal actually does the same thing as this animal. So, like, I can only have one in the deck. Um, So that one was a little harder because of that. Uh, But the others... The other's not so much because I got to play around more with archetypes and and fantasy and fiction and all of that kind of stuff. Like the mermaids? Oh, Oh my God, the mermaids. (laughs) The mermaids. You know, there's one line in that book that people still love to, like, send me emails over, and I'm like, seriously? What? Let it go. Well, I actually write in the guidebook that when the idea for the mermaid terror came to me, I didn't want it because I didn't like mermaids, right? And I didn't. At the time, I did not like mermaids. I was like, why are you bothering me? Like, why are you bothering me? I don't understand why you keep turning up in my life. Will you just go away? And, you know, there is this whole story around how I rejected the idea outright and I didn't want to work with them. And I talk about it in the guidebook because I believe in transparency. And because I believe that creatives should talk more about a process and the relationship of a process in regards to their work. So I wanted to be honest about it. But I still get emails to this day, like, telling me, you should never have been able to do this. You don't even like this, yada, yada, yada. Like one girl on... um, when I released the cover for the Mermaid Magic book, went on this massive rant on her Instagram page about how I was a horrible person and I hated mermaids and all this kind of nonsense. And, and it's interesting because it just shows the, that they got hooked on that one line and then never, ever read mm-hmm. anything else that I put out in regards to the mermaid and my evolving relationship and how letting that energy in actually changed my life and how we shifted that and how they, as a guiding force, moved me to have massive shifts in my life, right? But again, like, people get really hooked on stuff and then that's it. You're doomed. We're going to crucify you for not liking something four years ago. Okay. Be my guest. (laughs) You know, sometimes, and, and I find this to be true in a lot of different things, sometimes the person who doesn't want the message gets the message because they're, they don't oh, have a preconceived always. notion and they don't have a, you know, you don't, you're not unlearning something. This is something that was not in your purview and then it hit you over the head and said, you, this needs to be in your purview even though it is not something you requested. Therefore, without your preconceived notions, you will do an excellent job of translating so I think that's a gift. 
you know, to I not too. necessarily. I, yeah, I think that's beautiful. And I'm, and it kind of pisses, the story you just told is kind of aggravating me because I don't think people care about the reality of the situation. They want to take something and pull it apart and find something to be negative about just so other people can say, yeah, you're right, me too. And that shit makes me nuts. Sorry. <laughs> it's, well, here's the thing. I mean, it's interesting. I get a kick out of it, and I tend to share it because I'm like, you know, you posted it on your public page, so I'm go- and you wrote it about me, so I'm going to share it on my public page and give my two cents about it. Um, because mm-hmm. I just think that's fair. Like, you think you're trying to drag me through the mud. I'd like to use your comment as a point of exploration on developing relationships with guys, entities, thoughts, beliefs, and ideas. So thank you for the writing material. Um, but that's where I kind of come from. It's like, we all evolve. We all mm-hmm. have moments in our lives where we resisted or rejected the very things that were good for us at some point. Yes or things that can change our life for the better. We are all, Mm -hmm. and maybe, you know, and and sometimes I think these particular people who get hooked on certain things, they are quite, quite young, so they don't have the evolution of the decades behind them that some of yeah. us do where we can say, yeah, well, when I was your age, maybe I would have got kicked off at that. But shit, you know, I'm turning 50 this year. I don't really give a flying fuck anymore. It's not relevant because the idea right. and myself and my life and my belief and my stories have changed dramatically in 15 years. Yours will too. Sure. If you give it time. <laughs> yeah. I, and that's, you know, and I am a huge defender of young people because I think young people get a bad rap, but that isn't to, I mean, and in every group you have an asshole in every group, old, young, whatever. So, you know, the benefit of youth is not knowing how stupid you sound when you're sounding that stupid. It's only in retrospect that we realize, Oh, I think I fucked up then. Oh, well, I hope I was, you know, somebody didn't mind and and understood that I was just young because I had that benefit. I did stupid shit, and I'm I'm considerably older than you, I believe. I was born in 61, so there you go. Um, You know, experience teaches you uh, humility, (laughs) you know. Exactly. So hopefully... (laughs) hopefully the people that just pluck something obscure out of a body of work and decide to rail on it will hopefully learn from the experience when they may have to go through something similar themselves i mean you know there's only so much learned from my experience that people want to hear and pay attention to sometimes you just gotta make your own mistakes so yeah i mean it annoys me that people do that because it seems to be um, malice of forethought, where they're just really actively searching for something to be mad at. And that kind of manufactured outrage, listen, there's enough reason in America to be pissed already for lots of different things. We don't have to come up with new shit 
and attack each other. So I just I, I just find it disturbing. You know? well, may, well, maybe that's a point of privilege, too. Like, if everything is going so well in your life and this is the thing that you got decided you were going to wake up and get pissed about, maybe an examination on access and privilege might be in order. Agreed. Well, well said. Well said. Author, author. Well said. Seriously, it's true. And I, just, I wish mob mentality would calm down because it, it, it gets old very quickly, and you find you're running from one quote-unquote crime to the next crime, and nobody can keep up with anything. It's just, it's just a mishmash of emotion and negativity, and I don't really love it, but that's me. So, well, as I said, I, I, I like to use it as, as a creative. I, I like to use it as a, as a teaching yeah. moment. So I teach writers. I actually do teach other people how to get into the into publishing, and I let them know like this is the kind of stuff you will have to deal with. You will have to deal with other people's blatant opinion of your work. So how are you going to deal with this, and is it going to mortally wound you? Because if it's going to mortally wound you, we might need to do some work before you start putting your words into the public domain. True. No, that's great, though, that that you're a resource uh, that can present that information because I think a lot of the time folks kind of just, you know, it's a wing and a prayer and we hope it, it gets accepted and we hope that people like it. Um, but, you know, the ability of people to be cruel and rude has just turned into something I never recognized. Um, you know, it used to be that in a polite society, if you didn't like something, you merely moved on to something else and you didn't have to leave a, a, a 200 word critique, basically ripping the human apart, as opposed to just saying, well, this wasn't for me. I mean, it, it, right. it's so much nicer and kinder to just, especially for a first time writer. And I've never written a book in my fucking life because I have no talent for that kind of thing. So that's why I don't do it because I know better. But the fact that, you know, people can't seem to resist the cruelty that they can inflict on someone else, I find it very disturbing, don't you? Well, you know, it's the keyboard warrior. Like, nobody knows who they are. There's anonymity in the, on the Internet, so they feel safe. They feel safe in inflicting yeah. harm. Um, and I think yeah. that is probably what is more disturbing than anything else is that, and again, that comes back to my point of if, if that, that's your reality, then maybe you need to start thinking about your point of privilege because there are plenty of people who wouldn't feel safe leaving a comment like that, right? They would just say, well, that really yeah. isn't for me, and then and then wander off, especially if it's not something that is harming somebody else. Obviously, if we're, we've got context out there and text out there, and as you said, there's plenty to be angry about in this country right now, um, yeah, and you know that it's causing harm to someone, then by all means, speak up. But if it's not causing harm, then we do, you know, there is a bit of a privilege thing going on there. And, and it is hard for creatives, and, and things like that make it really, really hard for people to enter the field because then they have this fear, this fear that if I put yeah. myself out there, someone is going to tear me to shreds. And, yes, that is absolutely true. 
they absolutely are, and there's nothing you can do about it, but we can prepare you. And I think that's one of the things that yeah. publishing houses actually don't have the time to do, right? They, they don't. Their, their entire thing is find an idea, publish an idea, get an idea to market, rinse and repeat. So they don't hold authors' hands. They don't prepare you for what's coming, and they don't prepare you for the real world of what it means yeah. to be in the public spotlight. And listen, for one book, maybe no one will notice you exist, right? Maybe for one deck, nobody yeah. will know that you exist, right? But you create a body of work, and then like that target gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So you need to have that inner resilience, that creative resilience that is that lets you recognize that these people have much deeper issues that have nothing to do with your work and keep your yep. nose down and keep the creative flow moving. Brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah, I, you know, I, I've seen young writers be very discouraged because, you know, they read their first review and it wasn't, it wasn't glowing and, you know, they're tender-hearted, and you worry about folks who are tender-hearted because they may have something that would help other people. Maybe it didn't help that one particular person, but then their their voice kind of gets stifled because they're not that resilient, you know, and it's a shame. People just really, it's it amazes me. It amazes me. We there was there was a day, you know, many many years ago where you would never. Even if you thought the writer was absolute trash, you would never say that in public. It's not your place. It's not your business. You merely say, thank you, no thank you, and you walk away. I just, it's just amazing to me how people, again, have that uh, privilege and freedom. You know, you said privilege, and yeah, you've got to have a whole lot of privilege to just sit there and slam someone, especially if you haven't produced anything yourself. I don't know. Maybe it's me. I just, I, I find it offensive, but okay. Um, so let me, let me ask, because we did not, I did not ask you, and I'm not sure I even know the answer to this question. Do you give readings? No, I don't read. Oh, wow. Isn't that interesting? Has anybody ever said anything to you about that? Um, well, here's the thing. I, I, did, I guess like everyone, you read at the beginning. But then I knew when I wanted to create decks, I didn't want to read anymore because I didn't want uh -huh. to have a bias when I was putting the text together. And I find that, and I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers or anything, but I'm just saying, generally speaking, readers do have a bias of belief of meaning of cards, right? Mm -hmm. Because they build, yeah. they build up their own, um, they build up their own meanings as they build their career. We all do it as, as readers. Like we go, oh, if this pops up in a reading, I know exactly what this is, and I know if it's with these cards, this is what it means. Um, and it does tend to give us an information bias. And I did not want that if I was going to be creating cards because I wanted the cards to speak for themselves. I like that. I actually, I have a lot of respect for that. I don't read for other people anymore, but I've recently started reading for myself again. And 
one of the things I love about the Soul Cats Tarot is the fact that the book is so beautifully done, and you put in not just a, a beautiful meaning and description, but you also make it a point to note protection. And I thought that was really beautiful to put that in the card. Like, okay, so you're reading, you're reading, and this is what you know your outline is for what it means. But here are the steps you can take to maybe avoid a pitfall. And I, I think that's something I've never seen before, and, and I thought was really brilliant. Well, thank y'all. I like to play around with the guys because, like, you know, it's one of those things when you're creating decks, you're basically telling the same story again and again and again and again. And you've got to come up with very interesting ways to retell the same story. See, I didn't find that to be true with Soul Cats at all. That's part of why I love it so much because, to me, I didn't find it to be like that at all. I found it very fresh. I found it very new. And I love the point of view you have with it. And, you know, your interpretation is as valid as anybody else's. You know what I mean? There's a reason why, okay, I may get a little woo about this, but there's a reason why we're attracted to certain things, certain people, certain decks of cards, certain books. Maybe it's an intuitive thing where you know that there's information there that you want to acquire. And I felt that way about this deck. I have, st- I, I have not collected cards in a real sense in probably 20 years. I've received three new decks in the last 20 years. That's it. And they were gifts. Well, that, yours, well, I asked, like yours I asked for. <laughs> that just proves I'm getting really good at telling the same story and giving a totally different spin on it. Because really, we have to tell the same story. Every time we sit down and write these guidebooks, we literally have to tell the same story. So you do have to be super <laughs> creative in making sure you put a brand new spin on it every time you write one of the guidebooks. Yeah. I guess Soul Cats was easier for me to do because I had just finished Cirque. And that guidebook is very different because I wrote it like it was a playbill for uh, a show. Uh-huh. So I had a lot of fun with that writing. And it was nice to be able to come into Cirque and like set the whole thing up as a performance, have performative language, break the the guidebook up into acts and you know encores and like really use the structure of a show for the for the guidebook so because i had just finished writing that one first when i switched over to soul cats it was it was so totally Mm -hmm. different that like i think you can like if you put both of those guidebooks together you'd you'd think they were probably written by two different people um but it uh-huh. is one of those things where it was so vastly different that I got to do something so totally different with the cats than I did with Cirque. That's probably why it yeah. reads that way. I think if I had have done two decks that were kind of similar in nature, maybe we wouldn't have got mm-hmm. that. But that's also why I like to make sure that each deck I do has a really unique element to it so that when I'm not uh-huh. going to tell you the same story in the guidebook. Brilliant. So let me ask, when you're done with a project, like when you were done with Cirque, it got published, obviously, out in the world. 
Have you ever wanted to go back and revise anything? The only, well, not with the decks, no. I, not with the decks. My decks okay. are, are fine. The, the only thing I've ever wanted to, like, like if I could take Pathworking the Tarot, like, out of the world, I probably would. Um, <laughs> because it, but here's the thing. That book sells really, really well, but it almost killed yeah. me to write it. <laughs> Oh, so I have a, I yeah. have a, I have a re- really contentious relationship with that book. Um, I'd like yeah. to update the Tarot Court Cards book at some point because that was the first book I wrote. And I've got a uh-huh. lot more information I'd like to put into that book now. So I think if I ever got the chance to update that book, I would like to update it. But for the most part, I think everything is its own reference point in time it is its own product of a specific timeline so i don't think i'd like to tinker with them that's great no i I love that because a lot of the time when i ask that question folks generally have yeah i'd have done this and i'd have done that and (laughs) it's like oh okay um but i i i like your point of view on it. it it is what it is in the time that it was done and yeah it's exactly what it's supposed to be for when it was put out. And, and I think that is absolutely true. Even if you had something, again, you wanted to revise or you might revise at some point your first book, um, I would dare say even make it a new edition, uh, you know, and just like make it a double book, like a, a second part to the original, you know, um, but I think that's great. Do you ever write anything that is pure fiction? I try. <laughs> I'm working on this. <laughs> I, try. I do try. Um, I have been working on a couple of fiction books for years, but it is one of these things of because there's no deadline, <laughs> there's no deadline oh. for this when you're writing for yourself, right? It tends to get yeah. pushed to the side. So, yes, I do have fiction projects on my computer that I have been tinkering with for a couple of years now. Will I get them finished is anyone's freaking guess. But um, <laughs> I do. <laughs> wow. Is it, harder? is it harder to write fiction than it is to write the, the, the kind of the guides that you've written already? The nonfiction books, I find it hard. Here's what's really yeah. interesting is, is like I have friends who are agents and I have friends who are editors in the fiction world, right? In the fiction world, not not yeah. in nonfiction, yeah. but that they work in fiction. Um, they work with some yeah. pretty big authors, and they're always telling me, "You're," because I, I get really panicked about my fiction writing. I'm like, "It's not good enough. It's not this. It's not that." Right? I don't have that with the nonfiction mm-hmm. stuff, and they're always like, "You are you've you've already written like freaking, you know, eight books when are you going to get over it and just finish this one and I'm like I don't know maybe never (laughs) I have no idea so for me fiction is really hard whereas I've got a friend who's a very prominent fiction author and she can't write nonfiction. like she really struggles with nonfiction. so I think it depends on how your brain is kind of wired a little bit to how it produces content, arranges content, and puts content out into the world. I don't necessarily think we are one or the other per se, but one is just easier for us to deal with. 
So, I mean, I can knock out yeah. nonfiction books. Well, as we can see, last year I did wrote three um, yeah. pretty easily, and I don't have that many problems with them because I feel like I know how the content's meant to go. Whereas when I come to fiction, yeah. I'm like, holy hell, I've got all these people, and maybe it's because I like don't really you know, I don't really like people. It's like, I've got all these people and these characters and they've got feelings and relationships and like, what the hell am I meant to do with them? <laughs> it's, it's yeah, I, I, I don't have that, that problem in nonfiction. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, because when you're writing nonfiction, you're going based off of some kind of a truth or some kind of a proven point. So there's already something established Whatever the topic is, there's already something established. When you're writing nonfiction, or rather fiction, um, yeah, talk about having to create a world and feelings and exploring everything and how do you decide who's going to be your protagonist and, and what's the right. goal of this person. And I can't even – and I've had friends who have written fiction um, forever – and I am always fascinated by uh, the formula that some of them use. Uh, there are a couple that I know that use no formula, and it just kind of writes itself. So, like, when you're doing nonfiction, obviously, it, does it just write itself out of your brain? I mean, is it like, okay, you do an immediate data dump, or is it something that you, like, go over and over again and takes you – however many months to write it? Um, I don't do the data dump, no. Um, each book okay. is different. It has its own energy. So let me give you the, an example of the Tarot Priestess book because that was pretty torturous to write and I did have to move the deadline on that one um, because the goddess just stopped talking to me and I'm like, mm -hmm. we... She does I'm that. on deadline. <laughs> I'm on deadline. What the fuck are you doing? Um, and, and that was actually, I had to write to Barbara, I'm sorry, but she stopped talking to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. I have to move the wow. deadline. Like, that's not something you think you would have a conversation with a real human person, but here I am, like, going, oh, my God, the fucking goddess stopped talking to me. What the fuck, man? <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> So, yeah, that one, to me, the books have lives of their own. And the yeah. content comes when it wants to. Do I have, yeah. I do have a specific, like, as I said, I do write 20 minutes a day. I set my timer and I just write whatever comes out. Um, but yeah. what was happening is I was setting my timer. I would have my chapter up. I know what we needed to talk about and, like, nothing, like, it was just like static air for about a month wow. and I'm freaking out like what the yeah. hell um, and I just had to switch gears and I think like I, that was when I had to and at the time I hadn't been putting a deck together and that's when I was like oh that's the missing piece I'm not I don't have the creative flow because I'm not looking at images and creating visuals so there was not, like, yeah. I'd burnt out a little bit. So that's when I went and I just created another deck so that I could get the goddess to talk to me again. <laughs> no, but that's brilliant that you have another outlet that you can use so you don't just, I mean, because a lot of writers I know when they go through writer's block, they don't have anything else. 
and it's like they bat their heads against the wall because they are waiting for the inspiration to reappear. You at least have a way of kind of switching your brain into a different gear that allows you to still be creative and go back to what you were doing. So uh, is that something you're just going to continue to do anytime you write a book because you know that's worked for you? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I just don't see – in fact, most of my editors know when I'm ready to, like, start a book and or do a deck so they kind of like they're kind of waiting going all right she's going to send us something because like here's where she is like even they know my creative formula now but it is also something that right. I, I teach as well is that, that, that there does need to be this opposition in the creative mind in order to keep the creative gateways going and it could be anything so you could switch from writing to painting or writing to journaling or like whatever it is but there has to be this compatible creative energy that's not the same as the one that you're you're needing to pull all the fuel from because it's kind of nurturing the and fanning the flames on the other side and keeping that gate open so it is it is something i teach Mm. as well just so that people but just so that creative people don't hit that wall because I know what that wall's like. I've done it so many times myself. And I've done it when I've written myself into yeah. a corner too. Like you're writing along, you're writing along, you're writing along. You've smacked out 30,000 words and then you're looking at going, oh, shit, none of this makes any sense. What the fuck? Um, you know, so <laughs> what am I going to do? Um, so it is one right. of those things of like you have to have so many different tools and mechanisms to keep you moving because as I said publishing doesn't do the nurturing part publishing is idea contract you know put work into the world rinse and repeat so you as the author have to like build that community and build those processes yourself because you're you're not you're not going to get them from your agent and publisher like that just doesn't happen wow that's amazing and that's so great that you you know can inform young writers or new writers about the things they may experience and some of the uncomfortable moments they may experience. I'm sure part of what you teach is about, quite honestly, rejection, I would think, yeah? Yeah. Well, I'm about to launch my new writing school, and we have a whole module on rejection. (laughs) We have a whole module on how to deal with rejection. (laughs) Well, it makes sense. So what what are you working on now as far as tarot or writing or whatever? Right this second, as we record this podcast, I'm doing revisions for my next angel book. Uh, that comes out Woo! next year, I guess. I actually don't know what the release date on that is, but I'm just presuming because where we are in the funnel. And I have three decks in process. Three? Are you shitting me? Three? No. I am not doing enough with my life. I am not (laughs) doing enough with my life. Uh -uh. I'm sorry. I am a slug on the side of the road, and you are zipping past me at an insane rate. That's amazing. The the level of creativity you would have to have to do that in what seems to be a really short span of time. 
That's amazing. And I think, you know, it's funny because a lot of people want to say, oh, well, you know, that person is naturally gifted. And part of me goes, bullshit. That was paid for. That whole education, the studying involved, all of the work, all of the papers that had to be done, labs if necessary. Sure, do some people learn things at a different rate from other people? Of course they do. But to insinuate or somehow guess that it was just kind of handed to you, I find very um, insulting. (laughs) You know what I mean? Well, it definitely wasn't because I'm always continuing my education. So, I, I mean, you yeah. know, and it's interesting because I tallied, I tallied this up a couple of years ago. So, just in the last eight years, I want to say, eight years? Yeah. Maybe maybe the year before I got into public, maybe a couple of years before I got into public. But let's just say the last 12 years, I had personally invested $50,000 in yeah. In learning business, in learning back end, in learning social media, in learning marketing, um, in learning how to create courses, in learning all sorts of other skills that are necessary yeah. to have on the back end. Um, not to mention, I also pay. I have also paid for writing coaches, creativity coaches. I've gone to workshops and seminars and conferences. Yeah. So it, it's not one of these things where any of us are just naturally talented because you can't produce a body of work over a decade without help. Like uh-huh. It's impossible. It doesn't happen. And I don't know anyone who does it. I don't know anyone who does it. You're always having to find new inspiration, learn new skills, you know, different people and different conversations. I can't tell you how many of the cards in my deck are actually inspired by business coaches, right? They're not in the terror world. These are business people and marketing people and PR people. Like, that's where I get a lot of my inspiration from. So I don't think anyone can sustain a career on natural talent. I just don't. I don't think it's possible. Yeah. Well, I, and I agree. I mean, but I'm not a writer, so I'm just spe- I'm speculating. You're you're actually <laughs> in the game, so you know what you're talking about. Mine is just speculation. But um, oh well, we're running out of time. Shit. Um, sorry. Um, tell people about uh, how to reach you and maybe take your course. Maybe a young writer uh, is listening and needs the kind of help that you you give when you're teaching? Absolutely. So you can find me on social media, on Instagram. My name is the Lisa Robertson. On Twitter, it's just Lisa Robertson. And on Facebook, it's Ella Tarot. So you can find me all over social media. Or you can go to my website, which is lisarobertsonwrites.com. Very cool. Very cool. And I guess if that fails, contact my publisher. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Uh, And, yes, so they would contact Llewellyn if they can't find you anywhere else, right? Exactly, but I think that would be really hard to miss me everywhere else. (laughs) Well, I have to tell you, this was a gas. I really had a great time. 
I I hope I can convince you to come back on uh, for your your books that are coming up and your decks that are coming up because I just you're fascinating and I had a brilliant time. Well, thank you so much. It would be my honor. All right. Thank you again. I will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Okay, guys, tomorrow I will be back at 8.30 in the morning <laughs> with Talis and Govan, and we're going to do his book launch. So see you in the morning. Have a great night. <laughs>